Can we get a free Britney Spears moment here? There was a rally recently here in Washington, D.C. for the free Britney movement, but that's really not kind of why we're talking Britney Spears. We're talking Britney Spears mostly because in 1997, when I was a freshman in college, her album came out and it was like kind of the talk of the thing for, I don't know, a few minutes because Oops, I Did It Again was probably one of the catchiest songs that I've heard of in a long time. And it's way super applicable for Legion of Los Angeles at Boise. Oops, they did it again. And what did they do? They completely dominated the show. My name's Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is the place where you can go to find out all about the shows like Cyclocross Radio, the Slow Ride Podcast, Nowhere Fast, all the good shows that we've got there. You can check out what Michael Bodekheimer is doing with Hot Lap Summer or On Board with Vander Gibbons. All available now on the Wide Angle Podium YouTube page, YouTube slash Wide Angle Podium. Go there. It's great. You'll learn a lot about Tom and about the men's field at Tulsa Tough at a lot of the races. It's a good work. We are presented by Source Endurance. Source-e.net is the home for their website. It's the place where you can go to learn about the best coaching services in the country. Whether you're in the market for a good endurance athletics coach, a coach who can help guide you through the right steps and phases of who can help save your summer and save your season, or somebody who can help teach you how to eat properly and fuel the athlete's body. They've got it all. Just go check it out, source-e.net. When you find what you're looking for, use Criterium Nation as a promo code. It'll save you $50 off the first month of service. I wanted to keep this one short because I wanted to get to the story here. We got a lot with Alan and Celine. The whole crit squad is back to talk about Boise. Just a bit of an editor's note here before we get into the episode. We're going to be off for a couple of weeks. I'm heading up to Chicago to race Intelligentsia Cup. I've got a bunch of things going on in the background as well that need to be dealt with. So doing the work of editing a podcast and putting it all together for you is just not in the cards right now. But we're still going to continue the work that we're doing with race recaps on the CX Hairs Bulletin. Also, the power rankings there. We'll try to keep things up to date at Instagram, which is, of course, at Criterium Nation. So if you haven't subscribed to the Substack for CX Hairs Bulletin, go do it. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Criterium Nation, please go do it. We're going to try to keep you informed, but we'll be back in early August with brand new episodes. We got a lot of things coming. We got a lot of good interviews that we've got scheduled, and there's just a lot of great racing. So we're going to break down Boise. The Crit Squad is here, Alan and Celine, and we're doing that right now. We've got the newly minted podium finisher from the young rider competition, Celine Oberholzer from Wolfpack ATX here. And we also got Alan Schroeder. We're going to talk about Boise. We're going to talk about how hot it was, both metaphysically and physically. And we're going to talk about kind of how this all shook out in the end. But we need to first hear from... I don't want to say the woman of the hour because the hour passed a few minutes ago, but definitely the woman of the moment finishing sixth. So that's your first top 10 in a USA crits race. Celine, have you arrived? Have you made a statement? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Maybe. I mean, it's hard to know until it's consistent. Um, It's like, I think part of me is wondering if it was maybe a fluke, but I also need to trust myself. But yeah, it's just hard to know until it happens regularly. Is there a point in time in that sprint? And now keep in mind, I didn't get to see the sprint because the coverage was just off. So I didn't know that you actually had finished sixth until I saw the results the next day. So like, 
in that course from that last corner to the finishing line, was there a point in time where it, it registered with you like, holy cow, there's not that many women in front of me? So actually, it was going into the last lap that I realized that. However, a rider did a little bit of an interesting line um, coming through turn one, and I lost, I got basically got a bit gapped from who ended up being the top five riders. And on the back stretch, a lot of lead outs were launched and the pace got extremely high. Like I think we hit nearly 40 miles an hour. So closing up to who ended up being the top five um, was the only thing that was running through my mind. I was like, just keep fighting forward. You don't know who's behind you. The race is ahead of you. Um, and just keep fighting to get up there. Cause I, I know I have a sprint, but unfortunately it was pretty much game over as soon as that gap opened up. Um, cause I was out of the draft and just had to work so hard. And then I was just fighting for the entire last lap to just keep fighting forward. And when the five women in front of you features Skyla Schneider, Kendall Ryan, Harriet Owen, Maggie Coles Lister, and Rachel Langdon. That's <laughs> those are that's a hard gap to come across when everybody's opening up their sprint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean it's pretty much a, a huge honor to be in the top ten of any of these women. <laughs> Alan, you had the longest introduction that I've ever heard. There there are there are professional boxers whose introductions are shorter than the introduction that you succeeded in getting in Boise. Is that is that feeling have you come down from that feeling yet? Man, I don't know. I guess so. The only thing that really brought me down was having to go back to just my day job today. Uh <laughs> but yeah, that was honestly I posted on Instagram that was the highlight of my sporting career. Um, I don't know where they got all of that information from. I certainly didn't provide it to them. But yeah, it was pretty excellent. I don't know. Your team, CS Velo, was mining information from me during the course of the week. They were asking for the best podcasting inside jokes that I could possibly give them. And I, I had to say no. I had to say no, that there is a, a wall of confidentiality around this virtual space that is the the podcasting Zoom, with the exception, of course, that we invite everybody else into it at a certain point in time. So right, yeah. the men, not it's not really predictable, but it is kind of a predictable result because we all talked about this being Legion's race to win. Justin and Corey go first and second. It wasn't Tyler Williams this time. It was actually Ty Magner who finishes in third. And then we got the young guys, Scott McGill and Sean McElroy of AE Volo, who were able to come in there and, and clean up the wide angle podium. Alan, we got to talk about kind of how this race played out in a, a larger scope, but like something happened with like three or four laps to go. It, it must have happened off camera because we couldn't see like the field shattered into a thousand different yeah. pieces. Was there a crash at the end? Was that just all Alec Cowan and Sam Boardman? What the heck happened? <laughs> uh, incredibly, I don't think we had any crashes on Saturday night, which um, is kind of a first for all of the crits we've done this year. So that was great. But yeah, things really, so they had, it wasn't the gambler's preem, but they had a big, I think it may have been three or $400 preem up for grabs on lap four. Uh, and then I, I can't remember who it was. One of the AE Volo kids countered that preem lap and took a flyer off the front. And that is the moment that the race went from an eight to an 11. And yeah, I mean, it basically was Alec Cowan and Sam Boardman on the front, pushing on the pedals as hard as they could to bring back a Volo. Um, and once they did get him back, then, you know, they were committed and it was full gas to the finish. There were people just shooting off the back of that group, unable to hang on. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy to be just like hanging on for dear life on the back of that train. Women's race tops out around 40, which gives you an indication that this was a speed course. I've never been to Boise. I know I'm really mad about not getting there this year. So like four corners, 
five lanes wide. Is there anything about this course that is not just the definition of the pure crit course? I would say no. <laughs> it, it is pure four corner flat crit. Um, they did, you know, after COVID and everybody starting to move their restaurants outdoors, the course was a bit narrower than it had been, specifically laps or uh, corners three and four. So it got a little pinched in there. Every lap made things a little more dynamic. But for the most part, this was just down dirty crit racing. On the women's side, Celine, there was one rider who slid out all by her lonesome at one point in time. And then there was kind of an epic crash with four going into five to go. Other than those two kind of experiences, was there any argy bargy in the women's field? Yeah, I mean, that comes with the territory of like a traditional, really classic four corner flat crit course, though. And so we were all expecting that it was especially in, I'd say like any points laps or preem laps, and especially the finish, it was, um, it got a little messy sometimes. But honestly, two crashes is pretty solid, (laughs) considering how the year has gone in terms of crashes. But yeah, it, I think argy bargy is a great way to describe it. So the the kind of the overarching thing for this entire year so far has been hot. And I think, believe it or not, Boise was the hottest of these races so far. Armed Forces was ungodly hot and humid. It only got worse at Knoxville. It only got worse at Tulsa. It only got worse at Sunny King. Um, Toad was probably the only place that was temperate this year that I think people have raced at when the men started their race at twilight, it was still triple digits and it's, there's no shade at all in Boise around that capital complex. You know, do you think that that factored in to the men's race, Alan, because it didn't start as hot as some of the other men's races have? Uh, that's good. I don't think so, but maybe that's just because, again, I was like pretty acclimated to it, having been here in Boise leading up to it. I mean, the race felt, the first 10 laps felt plenty fast to me, um, but I think it was more of a mind game, you know, just kind of looking at the the weather forecast leading up to Boise and just everybody talking about like, oh, it's going to be hot, it's going to be hot, it's going to be hot, that I think by the time we actually got to the race start, everyone was just kind of talking or tired of talking about the weather (laughs) and it's like yeah it was hot but like we still got to do this thing you know like they're not gonna open a feed zone for us in this race um it's only 75 minutes long so let's just get on with it was there any talk about shortening it to 60 i don't think any serious talk maybe just the old twitter chatter but yeah i mean as far as as far as i know it was already brought down typically boise twilight is a 90 minute race for the men so bringing it down to 75 was already kind of a hit yeah, so I don't think anybody was interested in cutting it down to 60. I'm starting to feel that 90 minutes is that sweet spot for the biggest crits in the country, for the Boise's, for, you know, Armed Forces, Sonny King. Yeah, I think that 90 minutes is this really great target for the men and for the women that we should aim for more than the 60 to 75 because it plays out. It allows you to play things out much better. I... I, I know that I talked with Bodekheimer and Bill about two hours for nationals. I still think that there should be, you know, the longer race at some point in time, that there should be something special that separates it out. But, like, having watched this race, both the men's and the women's, and seeing how it played out, especially under these conditions, I don't know if a 100K crit would have been a smart move at Boise or, or doing a 50 K for the women. So like making it armed forces just on the West coast, Celine, would you have been behind that? Um, I think given the conditions, having it as a pretty standard, like 60, 75 minute crit course was a good move. And for our race, which was 60 minutes, we actually did have the option of a feed zone. And they said that if we wanted to grab bottles on the back straight away, that we would be allowed to do that. Um, so if you're at the point where you need feed in a 60 minute race, I don't think under reasonable circumstances that it should be longer. 
I mean, if it was colder, cooler, better air quality conditions, then for sure. But I honestly think even 60 minutes, some people would argue that was dangerous and unhealthy and there were riders who collapsed. Did you see anybody go? Yeah, I was going to ask that same question. Did you see anybody go down? Um, My teammate, actually, uh, right after the finish, she passed out. Oh, wow. Wow. Is she okay now? She's okay now. Um, I mean, I think the promoters were prepared for situations like that because they had a special medical tent with like ice water and what was like a, I think, meant to be like an ice bath kind of setup. So if you're starting to set up kind of like emergency overheating stations, then maybe that's an indication that, I don't know, I think, I guess as climate change progresses, these are things that people are going to have to think about, like, at what point do we, is it too hot to race? And at what point is the air quality too bad to race? Yeah, the air quality is obviously a thing that I don't often think about here on the East Coast, because a lot of it is driven West Coast wise by fires. We don't have as many forest fires here on the East Coast, although I did hear recently about some uh, threats of fires up in the great north country like Vermont and New Hampshire and that area. So like it's definitely something that's coming. What we need to talk about, and I don't want to dwell on it any longer than it needs to be, is the coverage of the race. You know, in our in our written recap in the CX Harris Bulletin, you know, we laid it out pretty clearly that there were two fixed camera positions and one mobile position that were covering the whole race course, but they weren't intended to do that. There was a third camera position that was elevated, but it, it never looked like it got hooked up or it was intermittent. And so for us here outside of Boise, we didn't know what happened on the backside of the course ever. There were a handful of laps where that coverage did exist, but the camera was low quality, wonky. It was not really pointed at the riders. You know, it was just kind of a a hot mess. And the work that was done with the cameras and the final in the first corner was great. You know, that was really good. But we ended up missing, again, the finish. And when you miss out on what happens in the critical moments and times, you're doing a disservice to the people who are in the race. You're doing a disservice to the sponsors and to the teams and everybody who wants to see what's going on. So when Skylar Schneider came across the line as the winner, the only time that I knew she was the winner was after she had already passed. And don't get me started on the men's race. That was like that. They were so out of position on that camera shot that it like, I knew it was Legion only by virtue of the fact of everything that had happened up until that point in time. But had it have been, Andrew Janot, I would have been one completely shocked and surprised and, 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 and I would have called Alan prophetic, but it wouldn't have surprised me from virtue of the perspective that I was looking at because you just couldn't tell what was going on. And, you know, like, I don't want to say this is par for the course for criterium coverage, but we've got this opportunity right now in 2021 where there's an audience of people who are thirsty for sport and we're letting them down with not even rookie mistakes, just bad production. And I don't know, is there talk on the line guys about what's happening or, or what's going on? You know, is there scuttlebutt on the teams about like, you know, we need this or we would like that over what we're getting right now, which is missing the critical moments? Uh, I know, and I guess this would be, you know, maybe a whole podcast episode in itself, but we've definitely just kind of in our own uh, space talked about how that sort of reflects on the professionalism of USA Crit Series and then like us as racers. Um, you know, we're all trying to elevate ourselves to a higher level of, you know, this being professional racing. And it's really difficult to do that when people don't have a way to, like, watch your performances, watch the races um, in a reliable way. So, you know, the comparison is always like NFL, NBA, NBA, MLB, like they never have any sorts of issues with capturing the the live action and then sharing it with all their viewers 
Um, so I guess really the only thing that's come from the writer's point of view is that it's a little bit frustrating when, you know, we're trying to hype up this, these races as much as we can and like really push the USA crits live stream just to have friends and family, you know, like tune in go to the website and then not get to watch the race. Uh, it's hard to, you know, try and elevate this past a hobby when there are these kind of like pitfalls that we keep running into. That's kind of the frustration, and it's not limited, obviously, this year to USA Crits because Nationals had the infamous black hole and that two-to-go corner that, you know, became the all-important corner. So we, you know, we want to work hard with with everybody to make things better. And the production value, I don't want to harp on it, but, like, I want it to get better. And I think all of us here are pulling for those people who are doing it to get better and don't take this critique as something personal. It's it's an ambitious goal for all of us to bring the sport to a wider audience. And I think we all realize that the wider audience is not just those people who are in the area of the crit, but those people who we are bringing in through the live stream. Talking about storylines, this is a great segue, right? The storyline going into the women's race, Celine, at least as I had built it up in my own mind, was that this was the showdown. The showdown of the five preseason women who we wanted to see go sprint head-to-head. Skylar, Kendall, Maggie, Olivia, and Harriet. Were there storylines other than that? Or was that the storyline for you guys going into the race? I think that that was the storyline because traditionally with a course like this, it's a pure sprinters course. And so you look to the sprinters to bring it home. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I'd say you're you're spot on there. The weird thing is, is that all of a sudden, like, boom, right off the bat, there was this seven person or eight person breakaway that featured Skylar and Olivia Ray. And so, like, for all those discussions about, like, oh, wow, we're we're just going to, this is a sprinter's day. Like, all of a sudden, the two, two of the big five were just like, we don't want to play that game. We're going up the road. Was that a wake-up call for the rest of the teams in the field that we needed to get? <laughs> we just can't assume it's going to come down to a sprint. We need to make it come down to a sprint. It's, you can definitely never assume. And I'm pretty sure that there have been breakaways that have stuck on this course. And sometimes when a course is like fairly predictable year after year, it actually suits a breakaway because riders are convinced that it couldn't possibly happen. Um, And so no one like panics and then all of a sudden it's too late and the breakaway is going to stick. But I think that it's pretty intelligent to follow it. It seems like everyone got a little bit desperate and didn't want to see that right away and did want to see it come down to a sprint or perhaps there were teams who weren't represented in the breakaway who wanted it to come down to a sprint. But I also think the speeds were just so unbelievably high um, that it would have been extremely difficult for a breakaway to stick, even if it had some of the biggest hitters in it. So there's two critical moments in the race. One we alluded to already was the crash with about five to go, which saw the field get neutralized and also saw your lead get wiped away because you were actually off the front (laughs) at the time. Yeah. And then 17-ish laps to go when a preem lap turned into a breakaway. And that's the one I want to start with because I think that one is a critical lesson for everybody in the field about what is going on right now, because we've seen so much Legion dominance, so much Kendall Schuyler, Kendall Schuyler dominance that everybody's like, well, if it comes down to a field sprint, you know, it's Kendall or Schuyler. They're going to lead each other out and they work so well together. The thing is, is in that breakaway, Kendall was put under pressure. It was the one time in the race that I saw Kendall get brought to task and that there was an opportunity for it to change the course of the race because when she bridged or when she got to the, to the break and when the field came back together, it was about a 90 second period of time. And for anybody who's ever been in a crit 
bridging or putting out an effort for 90 seconds is not going to light one match or two matches. It's going to light half the match book. So here's the question, which is inartfully put, how can you guys do more of that so that the races become more dynamic? So I guess I have two thoughts there. My first thought is that for any, I would say normal person, that 90 second effort would light up half the matchbook. But we have to remember that Kendall was training for the Olympics on the track and she's used to doing efforts of that duration. So I, I honestly think that that's her happy place and that maybe that was like half a match for her. <laughs> that being said, I think the rest of the field has to organize and there have to potentially be some alliances between teams to put them under pressure because even if you do force her to burn half a match, if you do that over and over and over again, everyone has a limited supply. So seeing some alliances between teams, um, maybe put Legion under some more pressure would be cool to see. This is something that can equally be said about the men's field and the women's field, but we're talking about women's racing right now. So Celine, why are so many women's teams doing Legion's job for them right now? Why are so many women's teams chasing down breakaways when Kendall and Skylar aren't in them? I don't know. <laughs> I do not have an answer for that. Except that maybe a lot of teams are still confident in and banking on their sprinters. Um, because there are a lot of really talented sprinters in our field. When that team is not represented, the, like I guess, domestiques are then forced to bring it back. However, I do think that they could just sit back and maybe force Legion to do that work. So maybe it's um, a bit of panic. But yeah, I can't say for sure. Because right now there's only one woman who's beaten Skylar and Kendall when they've raced together, and that was Maggie Coles-Lister. Rachel Langdon and Harriet Owen had two additional teammates this week, so now Instafund has four which makes them a substantially greater powerhouse than they already were, which I think probably serves why Harriet ended up getting third in this race and Rachel ended up fifth because they had that extra horsepower. The question then goes to somebody like Olivia Ray and Madeline Bemis of Rally. Why would Olivia pull the whole field up to a breakaway when she has the power to just snap that entire break? Like, I just don't understand why Rally was doing work for everybody else when it would have been so much better for her to jump up the road. That is also a very good question. <laughs> I'm trying to put myself in her perspective. I mean, maybe she didn't think, but then if she didn't think that she could bridge, why would she try to bring it back from the front of the field? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> she did that not only at Boise, but also at Sunny King. On two occasions at Sunny King. Unless they weren't working for Olivia and they were working for Maddie. That's the only scenario that I could think of that would make sense. Well, let's talk about five laps to go with this crash. You were off the front. You had just come for a points spring, uh, preem, correct? That's right. Yeah. It honestly wasn't even really an attack. I think I just went through turn three and then I looked back and I was like, oh, I have a small gap. And then I kind of just floored it and I thought there were people right there but I think maybe the crash actually caused some confusion and when I looked back on the straightaway to see if anyone was going to sprint me for the points um there was nobody there so I was like you know what five laps to go these laps are around a minute like why not just send it <laughs> but like it that it got neutralized and that's really frustrating I know and that's so frustrating because I mean that confusion would have been to my advantage. I just think that riders were really slow to get up from the crash, and that was ultimately the decision to neutralize it. However, by the time we came around the corner, I mean, most of the riders had been cleared away, and there was plenty of room, um, and I don't really know why they stopped us for five seconds to only then restart, because while we were standing there, we were like, oh, perhaps we can get some water, spoken to our radios. We're like, please get us some water and ice while we stand here. And then all of a sudden we were rolling again. And some riders were pretty disrespectful of the neutral. Um, and so I went from being off the front 
to being on the third row of the restart with four laps to go, which um, was not where I wanted to be. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you lost an advantage on multiple fronts there, but the result for you was positive and in a sixth place finish, which is incredible. But again, didn't know what was happening in the coverage. So you are our eyewitness to history here for that last lap. Because what we saw was Kendall Ryan absolutely dominating the field, leading Skyler out. It was foregone conclusion by the time they hit that last corner that it was going to be a one-two finish. Like Harriet Owen, to her credit, tried to make it a race and so did Maggie, but like just wasn't going to happen. So fill us in what happens from corner two or corner like one and a half to corner three. You know, how did that break down? So... There were a couple of riders who were clearly lead outs for um, their teammates. And it was a very explosive backstretch. Like, I think it's a great disservice that there wasn't coverage of it because it was incredibly impressive (laughs) to witness it. It just further proof that a 90 second effort or 60 to 90 second effort for Kendall is her happy place because she just launched and she was a rocket ship. Like all the other teams were scrambling to stay with her. And it was the perfect lead out for Skylar, like picture perfect. So, Alan, I want to bring you back in here to ask this question because you're a neutral observer. Skylar has now won six races in a row. When does this become historic? Probably now. I mean, when is the last time that one person has managed to win basically all of the races? Especially, I mean, this is only stop two on the USA Crit Series. So if we want to, like, keep it specific to that, I think there are some women who have, you know, showed equal dominance. But um, I guess I don't know if she's going to an intelligentsia or not. But if she continues to just roll these USA Crits, then I think very quickly we're going to see something be, yeah, history. Something we haven't seen before. Do we consider Maggie's win at Armed Forces a fluke? Or is it just Maggie had the timing that day? I would absolutely not call it a fluke. Um, She has an incredible sprint. I think that maybe DNA has some work to do in terms of being a step ahead of Kendall in the lead out so that they are not reacting to Kendall's insane lead out power, um, but rather maybe because they have the numbers, try to take control before the last lap or before the last half of the last lap. Because I do think that Maggie could contest that 100%. She has the power and she has the balls. (laughs) Yeah, she's gone full send on numerous times. Let's talk about the men's race and kind of the drama starts before the race even starts. Because during the call-ups, the you know watching the the live stream there was some confusion about who was supposed to come up and when they were supposed to come up you know like you got to legion's call up which should have been justin given the way that things were playing out because he was the overall leader but then Corey and the rest of legion just followed justin right along you know alan you were on the line you heard what was going on Unfortunately, we couldn't hear the call. So was there some kind of confusion that happened during the call-up? I don't think it was confusion from Legion's point of view. Uh, Scott Morris was there, and he was letting them know that when they called up Corey, once Corey started to roll to the line, that because Legion was leading the men's team competition, they would all come up with him. I think maybe there was a bit of a disconnect there between what Scott was telling the writers what the writers were doing and what the announcers were saying. I don't think they ever got to the point of saying, you know, like, and your men's um, team leaders, Legion, come on up. Um, So, yeah, you just kind of saw all of them follow in behind. And usually (laughs) it's like when we're all lined up there trying to get to the start line, once the last person gets their call up, everybody just goes like there's no like calls are done. There's no holding everybody back. They're going to the line. Uh, so the end of it always gets a little messy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would much rather prefer to be the first person called up than the last person. I know that's kind of like the 
position of honor, you know, that might be reserved for a national champion, for example, who didn't get a call-up at this race. Danny Estevez did not get a call-up. So that's kind of a weird... That's pretty shocking. Yeah. But he was there in the national champ jersey. Speaking of jerseys, we saw Justin and Tyler Williams take their leaders' jerseys off on the line. This was obviously planned. It was something that they intended on doing because they were fully kitted up in their Legion kit underneath. And what it makes me wonder is what the rules are on this. Because you saw in the women's race, Skylar wore her jersey. That was just it. She wore her 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 orange Colavita leader's jersey, and Maggie wore her gray one, and Julie wore her blue one. And what are the rules? Because we haven't seen too much clarity, and I've never seen at a USA Crits event somebody take their leader's jersey off. We asked... USA crits the other day for an answer on what the rules are, but we didn't get a response. Here's my inside story here. As the guy who used to run the Marlboro Road Race series, the Marlboro Road Cup, I had a lot of trouble getting people to wear their leader's jerseys. We tried to make them as ridiculously bright and standout-ish as possible, and the sponsors wanted to be seen. They wanted the pictures taken. So, you know, it was like a hey guys, please wear this jersey, was the best that I could do. And I got some compliance. I didn't get 100% compliance. I got people who said, well, why can't I make my own custom jersey, you know, if I'm the champion sort of thing for the next year? But, you know, like, there was really no good answer. And flash forward this year, you go to Tulsa, and you see Skyler wearing the LEL Tulsa Tough kit on the second and third days. You saw... Corey wear it at the end of the race series when he was at Crybaby Hill, but you didn't see Justin wear his when he went to the Arts District the second day. So is there a rule that we don't know about? Is there something that, is there some sort of enforcement that we're talking about? Or is this just, hey, if we can wear it, wear it? I mean, I have heard rumblings about if you don't wear the jersey, you lose points. But I don't know if that's in writing or I don't know if that is, yeah, if that's in writing and enforced. So I would be curious for there to be a little bit more clarity. Um, and if that is in writing and currently unenforced, I'm curious as to why some writers are exempt from these rules and some writers have to follow them. I wonder if it's just like, you know, nobody's ever gone kind of digging through the rule book to see if there is a rule against not wearing the jersey just because so many people in these races, you know, it's like it would be their life's work, their biggest goal to be in one of these jerseys. So they would never even think about not wearing it in the race. Um, yeah. So like she said, if if there are rules in there, then I think it would be nice to to get some clarification on what those rules are. And yeah, I guess how how they how they want to enforce them. And if it's not in the rule book, then maybe now it's something that we need to think about throwing in there and making clear to all the athletes and and managers. I don't see a rule book on the USA Crits website. I've never been on a USA Crits team, so I don't know what happens as far as onboarding or anything like that. But, you know, like if if anybody knows the answer to this can point us to the right direction, we'd love to know because like this is one of those things that unfortunately in bike racing there are a lot of unwritten rules. I mean, we could talk for an hour and a half about the unwritten rules of gravel racing. But, you know, that's not what we're here to that's talk about. a different about. podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally different podcast. Thankfully, we've got some great people like Amanda Nauman and Zach Schuster and Bill Scheiken to help break that down. Okay, past the, past the call-ups. We knew this was Legion's race to lose based on the course, based on the way they've approached this. We did not realize that it was Best Buddies' race to come out of the gate swinging. Alan, was that a shock to you guys? I don't know about a shock, but it was certainly surprising. Um, 
I guess, you know, even in real time, in the race time, once I saw they had three or four or five guys, whatever it was on the front, uh, confusion, <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what their aim was taking to the front in that way so early. It didn't really seem to change the way the race played out at all. You know, the first 10 laps are always pretty aggressive and fast. And then there's a lull. And within that lull, like they weren't being extra aggressive. They weren't animating the race at all. All it was really doing was allowing Legion and their like strongest workhorses to just sit in a few extra laps. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, it, It definitely kept the pace fast the first 10 laps we were motoring, but... Yeah, I guess I'd be curious to hear come from their team circle what what the plan was. How much do we owe a Volo for for making this race interesting in the middle part? Like, I don't know if we can buy these guys a beer, but if we could buy them a beer, (laughs) you know, how many beers do you think we would need to buy them? Many. I mean, especially if we just figure they're going to do that all season, we're gonna we're gonna owe them a lot of a lot of thirty six packs here by the end. But yeah, I mean, every before every race, I think most teams, you know, talk about it like, well, AE Volo's here, so they love to attack. You know, that's what they're going to do. So I think at some point, people just are pretty content with leaving that up to them. And then every other team is, you know, hatching their own plans kind of separate from that and but keeping like kind of trying to factor that in. What was your team's plan going into this what was cs fellows plan because we saw we saw for the first time this year i saw cs velo execute a team strategy what was that strategy yeah well i mean to be honest going in we had two different strategies kind of based on how the how the race was going to play out but going into those last 20 laps we decided that we wanted to to work for andrew like we talked about last week the kid is on he's on great form um his sprints come along real nice so yeah we wanted to try and get him get him in a good place get him in a good position and you know work work on our own kind of team dynamics and work on i hesitate to call it a lead out a full-blown lead out but definitely just maximizing teamwork because it looked like to me that the six of you came together and legitimately formed a train mid-pack to bring andrew up to the front was the goal to be to put him alongside Legion and, and do dueling trains? Uh, to be honest, yeah. The goal was to to be at the front of the race, maybe not controlling it, but you know, have a spot at the front. As we saw, or maybe didn't see, but the way it worked out, we weren't the only ones that had that plan. You also had ButcherBox up there, A Volo up there, uh, Cliff Bar was doing a great job. And, you know, the course when you're going that quickly is a lot more narrow than it looks. And especially when you have Legion kind of, you know, holding the inside on the straights and then swinging out wide for the turns, you know, you can't, you just realistically can't have four or five teams all lining it out there. So yeah, we kind of, we kind of worked our way up there and, you know, discovered that we still have some things to work on, I guess. (laughs) Well, here's, here's an idea. And and this is just an idea and it is something that I've, I've talked about with other coaches with team directors, with everybody who's willing to sit long enough for me to say, hey, how do we? How do you beat Legion? How do you put together a game plan to beat Legion? What is a strategy? And now keep in mind, a strategy and a game plan are two different things. Strategy is an overarching kind of structure within which you put a game plan. So this is a strategy as much as it is anything else because like, the individual people that you need to do this are not necessarily on any one given team or they may not even exist in reality. But like if you can put this strategy in place with specific people and implement it, there's your game plan. So the way that it looked to me is that everybody was everybody in that race, with the exception of A. Volo, a couple guys from Primal and Humble, the Humble Hammer. That's my favorite new nickname for George Simpson from Project <laughs> yeah. Echelon, wanted to play this Legion's way. They wanted it to come down to a sprint, and they wanted to do what CS Velo did, which is to bring six guys up and put them all alongside Legion. And I think that we've seen throughout the course of this year and the course of 2019 
that that's just not going to work. Alan, have you guys on CS Velo, let me ask you this. Have you guys on CS Velo ever gotten together on a Zoom call to do film study of a race? Not on a Zoom call, but we have done it in person. Yeah. My reports are that Legion does that weekly. They get together and they watch game film again and again and again about how they did it, how the race was won, how the race was prosecuted. And that's why they're so good at what they do. It's, it's this, you know, like Peyton Manning was legendary in football for his, his studiousness. He was a student of the sport. He would spend hours, Tom Brady the same way, hours and hours in the game film room watching it again and again. Adam Mills, Source Endurance has harped on this for years. Like, watch your races. You know, Corey puts together those videos for a reason. Watch the things. They're on the internet, like nation's number one beast. It's not hard to find on YouTube. So why are we playing as competitors? Why are we constantly playing Legion's game? Why don't we learn how to play the game in a different way? And this is the chess versus checkers analogy. You will not beat Justin and Corey Williams. End of story. In a sprint. In a sprint. End of story. Unless your name's Tom Gibbons or Travis McCabe, maybe Danny Estevez. There are a couple of hand, there's a handful of world-class sprinters who can compete with those guys with power, pure numbers. The thing is, is that you have to take it to them in a different way. You have to take it to them in a way that breaks their rhythm up. And the way to beat Justin and Corey is to beat Alec Cowan, to beat Sam Boardman, to beat Tyler Williams, and to beat Ty Magner. Until you can dispatch those guys, the race is still going to play out the same way. At 10 or 15 to go, when it was six Legion guys on the front, that was the end of the race right there. So why don't we play for 15 laps beforehand? This is the chess versus checkers part. Nobody goes into a game of chess thinking that you're going to emerge on the other side with all of your players. Teams have to be willing to sacrifice riders to deal with Alec Cowan, Ty Magner, Sam Boardman, and Tyler Williams. You have to break those guys down and kick them out the back of the race in order for you to be able to take it to Justin and to Corey and to win. That's what Stephen Vogel did at Armed Forces. You know, that's how it played out at Crystal City. That's how it was playing out at Nationals up until two to go, two corners to go, was teams took it to them. So, you know, like, Alan, the way that you at CS Vela win is if potentially you and Sean aren't there racing at the end. You're on the sidelines. Because to sacrifice riders and to get to Alec and those guys means that you have to go up the road. You have to make it hot. You have to do everything that you can to isolate Legion and also stop doing Legion's job for them. The number of times, <laughs> yep. the number of times we saw different riders from different teams chasing people down that weren't Legion was amazing. Is this strategy something that you you think is smart or is this just Rob Kelly talking out of his mind? No, it's the strategy for sure. Uh, we've had a lot of team talk over the last couple of years or not years, excuse me, last couple of weeks about what we can do. And I agree. I think what you just proposed is 100% what you have to do. But where it starts to break down is, you know, the idea that USA Crits is a series. And they're putting, or at least our team is putting, a big focus on the team competition. So, you know, it's a hard sell to say that we're going to sacrifice, you know, two or three of our guys, likely three, in order to wear down Alec and Sam before the finale. If we're the only one, like if we're the only ones doing that, then not only are we going to suffer, but we're also going to be on the back foot for all against all the other teams like butcher box and cliff bar and automatic. So kind of like Celine was talking about earlier, if we, <laughs> if we could somehow get, you know, some cooperation from everybody in the Peloton, then, you know, yeah, I think, that is definitely one viable strategy we can we can go after. But there's a lot of teams that are willing to, you know, they'll see one team in particular just attacking and be like, okay, we see what's going on there. We're going to hold all our cards 
for the last 10. Celine, is that the same in the women's that, that the, the, the team competition takes precedence sometimes? It is a big like air quote, but as against what you had said, um, and the only reason that I could think why more teams aren't doing it and why teams were doing it at events like Armed Forces, Clarendon, Nationals, but it hasn't been as prevalent in the USA crits because I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the top four riders that are scored for points. Yeah, top four. So that effectively leaves you two riders that you can sacrifice, which is not enough unless they're like absolute monsters. I think if any team did have two really dominant riders like that, we would already be seeing this happening. Yeah, again, going back to teams cooperating and organizing together, I think is the best bet because then there's just more matches to go with than from an individual team. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch the last two laps of the men's race. Watch Alec Cowan bury himself. I mean, he absolutely killed himself to get that result. You, in like talking about, I mean, this is the difference between strategy and game plan, strategy and implementing. It's like anybody can create the strategy. You know, finding the horses to run the race is hard. I mean, there, there, there aren't six humble hammers in that race. You know, George Simpson, God love him. He went off on a break by himself. It was it was doomed to fail, but the guy tried hard and he held off Legion for a long time, but like he needed friends. He just needed more people, but like go back, watch Alec and watch Sam Boardman. These guys do not get enough credit for how dominating a performance they are. And like, I know that there are women as well who are out there who are doing the same kind of work, like probably Erica Clevenger from DNA. She is just driving the pace for for Maggie. You know, Celine, who are some of the women that we could say are the Alex and Sams of the women's peloton? I think you could, there's a direct correlation between who's standing on the lap leader podium and who does that. Like, I have to give massive props to my teammate, Julie, because she is such a workhorse and I think that's why she's leading the lap leader competition because it's just something that's in her nature and it suits her and that's why she's on that top step but then you also have Rachel Langdon who's um second in that and she does so much work for InstaFund so I think those two right there are a big indication of who's doing a lot of work in the women's field so the men's race ends with Justin Corey and Ty Magner going one, two, three, and the young guys in fifth and fourth with Scott and Sean McElroy. You know, we are moving on next week, the field splits, which is going to be interesting because Intelligentsia Cup is an enormous draw and it's drawing a lot of good riders to it, including most of the guys from Legion that we just talked about. Tyler Williams, Corey Williams, Alec, those guys are going to Intelligentsia, not to Salt Lake City with USA Crits. Both of you are going to go to Salt Lake. You're skipping out on my hometown of Chicago. I'm a little miffed about that. I know, wah, wah. But <laughs> somebody had to do the mouth noises. It was going to be Alan. I knew it. But, um, you know, what What can we look forward to with, with uh, Salt Lake? Chaos. Uh, that gateway course is... Uh... It's a wild one, you know, coming through the gateway is, uh, it's all concrete. There's a lot of, a lot of gaps in the concrete, a lot of ledges. The first corner is pretty wild. Um, and yeah, like you said, the A squad for Legion is heading off to Intelligentsia. I just got to imagine that's a money-making venture for them, but it will be interesting to see how, you know, the, the race dynamics change with all their, yeah, their strong guys. Well, I mean, they're all strong, obviously, but they're big motors being over in chicago so there's one guy who's going to be there that you haven't seen yet this year who i've tried to talk to about a talk about in the past is ama insect for legion he has had a not so quiet uh season so far winning 
the overall, I believe, at Tulsa in the 1-2 field. He has gotten on the podium at Amateur Road Nats. He has gotten on the podium at Cross Country Mountain Bike Nationals and also ended up again on the podium in the 1-2 race at Boise. Not the D1 race, but the one that happened right beforehand. Here's a fact about Ama, and I learned this the hard way uh, by watching him do it. In the last lap of Tulsa, Crybaby Hill, he hit 1,500 watts four times. Four jumps of four jumps in 60 seconds at 1,500 watts. Independent jumps. That's the guy who's coming in as the sub-topper for Legion. I mean, that just doesn't even seem possible. Can we check this guy's power meter? What brand is it? He's got a gener- I, that's very impressive. That's terrifying to be honest. <laughs> yes. So good luck at good luck at Salt Lake, Alan. What about on the women's side, Celine, going into Salt Lake? It's pretty exciting that it is two days of racing. And I believe there are new courses this year because I did hear some critiques of the courses that were chosen in 2019. Um, so it's cool that they listened to those criticisms and made some amendments. And I think it'll be possibly more of the same, possibly some surprises. <laughs> be ready for both. We will be at elevation. Yeah, that is true. Um, a little bit more elevation, same amount of heat, and possibly a little bit more garbage air quality. <laughs> so now that you are in third place in the Young Riders competition and your teammate, Julie Kalitza, is in first place in the Lap Leader competition, is this where Wolfpack is going? Are they going to support you and Julie? I I believe so. Um, I know that Julie is... I think I had maybe had said this on a previous podcast, but she is just like in her happy place in that leader's jersey, and she absolutely deserves it. So anything that we can do to help her keep it, um, absolutely. And as far as being third in the Young Rider competition, we'll we'll just have to see. Um, it'll come down to consistency, and hopefully that's something that I can achieve. But the team is very supportive of both of us in those endeavors. Because if you were to jump up places in the Young Rider competition, that means you have to go through Maggie <laughs> and Skylar. Oh, what a podium. <laughs> being on that podium in and of itself right now is a huge accomplishment for a first it, year. Yeah. So congrats. Did not feel real. Just seeing um, Maggie and Skylar standing on the steps next to me did not feel real. <laughs> Alan, I got to say, we have to elevate Celine. She is definitely not a middler anymore. She is definitely a, to- a sub-topper. Or are, we, are we approaching topper? I mean, if you're on the podium, you're looking at the tops of people's heads. So, yeah, I got to imagine that's a, that's topper form. That's awesome. Congratulations. So guys, good luck. Thanks again for joining us on the show. And we'll check in in a couple of weeks because we'll be off for the next two weeks. Thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We're a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Go to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more about the show and become a member and subscriber and enjoy everything else that you hear there. Like we said at the beginning, we're going to be off for the next couple of weeks. So enjoy crit racing. Enjoy reading about it in the CX Harris Bulletin. We'll still be trying to do our recaps. We'll still be doing the power rankings. So just keep following us along everywhere else. But we'll be back in podcast form in a couple of weeks. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with my senior men's and women's correspondents, Alan Schroeder and Celine Oberholzer. Join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation. Wow, what an episode! That was amazing when that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like set them straight. Oh, man. 
that was great. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that again. But hey, since I have your attention now, hello, Cyclocross friends, new friends and old friends and soon to be friends. My name's Bill. I host a, another show on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. It's called Cyclocross Radio. And we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon to be stars in cyclocross. We also have a panel discussion we call the Media Pit with my buddy Zach and Michael, where we go over all of the new rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen. It's a great time. It's a great conversation. We built an amazing community that we want you to be part of. So go to WideAnglePodium.com, become a member there, then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Cyclocross Radio. Do it. Do it now. Cyclocross friends. <laughs>